Because what you're talking about is typical. We'll say that. Anyway, if you're basically what you said is you said for quite a while you were feeling really good. Like ecstatic. And then uh, and that lasted past the last call in into a couple of days. And then what happened? And then um uh, the good feelings, they slowly started to subside. Um, and I kind of normalized, but my <coughs> concentration or my anapanasati, um, both on and off cushion, have not been as great. But it's not been causing me any suffering, really. I mean, it's not been sort of, I've not been feeling bad about it. Um, you know, as soon as I start getting into sort of, as soon as the thoughts start going towards what you'd call woeful states, the mind kind of just snaps back, um, uh, which is great. Um, but I would like to get the Anapanasati back because I still, you know, um, it's like the mind was really, it felt really good when the mind was sort of calm. Okay. Um, when there weren't, even though I had good thoughts, because there were a lot of them, the mind was kind of agitated, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And it's just a lot better when the mind is <laughs> at peace. So even though the thoughts aren't really painful thoughts, I'd still like to be nice and calm. Okay. Um... This is a long process. Yep. Students have, uh, actually the best thing is, is that students do get immediate benefit. And that, that's what you've been experiencing. And that you know that this uh, practice um, has that great benefit. Mm -hmm. um, in, in a way, uh, you could think of that the hindrances uh, have been sort of put down or away for quite a long time. And like they've been in jail and there is kind of like all of a sudden they, they want to revolt. <laughs> and that stuff yeah. comes back up. Another way of thinking of it is, is that when things get really easy and easy going, that uh, our intensity that it took to get into that state um, is no longer maintained to keep yep. it in that state. And therefore, it's kind of like we get lazy. And so while we've got all of these uh, hindrances at bay, and now our mindfulness comes down and all of a sudden out they come. Right. Yeah, and they kind exactly. of, uh, as you're saying, almost in a flood. Yeah. All right. So we know exactly what to do with this. Never mind. Start again. That this is yep. ordinary. Uh, and not only that, but um, because you've been developing that that sharp mind, these hindrances appear 
to be bigger than they used to be. Because when we were a doll mine, we didn't see them very well, and we certainly didn't see the hindrances as the, the level of dukkha that they deserved. So yeah. now when the hindrances come back, they come back uh, uh, not necessarily more strong or quicker, but that when you catch them, you can catch them kind of easily in the sense that they appear to be strong and therefore easy to see. Now, uh, because you've got the development of the skill of seeing better, even though the, uh, the hindrance is not a big deal like it would have been uh, long ago, now when it comes up, you, you have the idea, ah, there you go again. Yeah. Okay. Now, there is a very, very slight change in the attitude that we're looking uh, with here. There's part of the, um, the active work of the right effort uh, and also the result of the right effort is this attitude change again. All right, so that's what we really have to do with this um, uh, reoccurrence is to reapply the Eightfold Noble Path and reapply the, uh, uh, the, the aspects of the Eightfold Noble Path in Anapanasati. So yep. working with one's right effort, because in fact what you're saying is, is that right now your sati is getting developed. Yeah. And you're beginning to see all kinds of things that you didn't see before. Yeah. And Very so, sensitive uh, to it. Staying at that level and remembering, in fact, remember that that's your most important job is to keep looking, to keep remembering, because we have to wake up. Otherwise, the hindrances will get big. Yeah. Okay. So uh, with the mindfulness that we have, we have to remember that we've been able to conquer that stuff. We've been able to put it in jail, literally. If we can do that one time, the first time, we're already the champion, and certainly we can do it again. Yeah. But it's going to take that, uh, that effort and that attitude uh, to not, <laughs> not let it grind you down. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a very famous Latin phrase, I don't think people younger know it anymore, but it was definitely uh, grilled in, especially in Latin class, and uh, uh, illegite uh, buncomborundum, and what that means is don't let illegitimate things grind you down. The carborum is mm. the grinding wheel, okay? And the illegitimate, actually translated humorously into English, kind of misses the point, but the humorous way of saying it is don't let the bastards get you, grind you down. Mm. But in this case, yep. bastards are the hindrances within the mind. Don't yep. let them grind you down. That when we catch them, we say, I'm still the boss of this thing. I can throw you right back out again. And that confidence then gives us uh, uh, that the confidence and the attitude 
gives us that level of energy then. In fact, that's one of the things that I've been coming to understand that um, in the beginning of practice, it takes effort. But once we have the effort going that brings about uh, that feeling of confidence and um, ability to do this task, that feeling of the ability, I can do this, now kind of transforms the effort into easy. It's really easy. It's kind of like uh, uh, flicking off a bug that's on the arm. You know, it's just really easy to get rid of. It's um, um, This is why... Uh, and I can, I was confused for a long time about the uh, Sambo Jhana, the seven factors of enlightenment, because a lot of curiosity about uh, things in the relationship to the way that the suttas are structured and how things are put together. Mm-hmm. But then I began to understand that um, the seven factors of enlightenment is nothing but the actual fulfilled or the fulfillment of the uh, Eightfold Noble Path. But now the resultant part of the path, the the Sila, in fact, is not part of the seven factors of enlightenment. That in fact, Sila, morality of right speech, right action, and right livelihood are actually the result of of it, not factors of it. Do you understand what I mean? Yes. You don't have to yeah. The, okay. If you understand that, then you can understand why the seven factors of enlightenment do not have uh, those factors of the eightfold noble path. When you understand that, everything else fits quite together. And that togetherness, especially, is at that point when the effort, right effort, becomes uh, less effort and almost energy. It almost mm-hmm. springs into action. And that that really comes out of that confidence. And this is going to take, um, I would say it's going to be another cycle of uh, investigation, another cycle of watching that stuff. And that happens, another cycle, maybe another after that. But look how much progress that you've been making with this already. That in fact, as you were telling me, your fallen position, the position that you fell to is superior to what things used to be like. Yeah. So you haven't fallen too far down. That means it is actually easy to get back up. And you can do that. Yeah. You can bring it back again. And that has the quality of the determination that I'm determined that I'm now want to redouble my intentions or my um, attitude about it. And when my attitude is really strong, the effort is not much. That's what I've been thinking about, because now that falling down isn't, isn't going down very far, it's like, um, yeah, like you said earlier, it's like, um, it's very easy to get lazy. And um, so I've been thinking I need to, you know, I need to just 
it had just redoubled that intention, redoubled that effort all the time. And I sort of need to change that perspective that thinks, oh, it's fine. It's all right to be lazy. I sort of need to change that attitude. Yeah. So that, um, that's a, that's so an that interesting way to put it. Yeah, but this does not, doesn't going to, when the attitude is right, the effort is easy, easy effort. Yeah, it really is. Um, and it's, it's amazing because it's like, you know, that, that complacent feeling, well, that's just, that's just a perspective. That's just an attitude itself. Mm-hmm. And, and that can, you know, it's, it doesn't really, it's not, it's not like, it's not, well, it's not something that binds you. So, yeah. Well, actually, that's an interesting word, bind. Um, that, that in fact, um, some, in some ways we would think that that's the exact opposite of freedom. But another way of looking at, at binding uh, is in the sense of, um, the example is, you can take one pencil and break it. But if you've got five or ten pencils, they're really hard to break. Okay. Yeah. Why? Because they, uh, uh, together, they form strength. Yes. And that these are, in fact, the factors that we have been uh, working with, these five um, factors uh, of jhana, bind together as a, as a real strength. And that's why, because of the, uh, the effort, becomes very little. But generally, in the beginning, most students practice too hard anyway. Always they yeah. start with too much effort. And I have the idea, the reason for that is because everybody has the idea that I'm new here, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm going to take my ordinary loser's attitude about it anyway, and therefore I've got to work really hard at it. Yeah, pretty much, that's, and yeah, so we, that's how it so is. The, a, a note to raw beginners, and that is, it's really, if you can change your attitude, the attitude, if the, if the attitude is strong, then it, the work is easy. It does, doesn't take much effort. Mm. Uh, and that attitude, as it grows, can be thought of as growing in determination. Mm. Um, but a better word of, of saying it would be enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, definitely that we get enthusiastic for the practice, and then in life in general, we become enthusiastic about the Dhamma, and yep. enthusiastic about living a life of the Dhamma. This enthusiasm, then, when the enthusiasm is there, that's what makes the effort, in fact, easier. When mm-hmm. there is no enthusiasm for the path, and no one's going to start the path with enthusiasm, First yep. time they sit down to meditate, it's, it's always full of doubt. What the hell am I doing? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, but as, if we can make that transformation into practicing correctly the Eightfold Noble Path, that, that item that people don't talk about much. I mean, I know that most introductory meditation classes talk about the Eightfold Noble Path. 
but they don't talk about it in the sense of this is why you're here. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and this is how you actually apply each one of these stages of the Eightfold Noble Path. Yep. And so this is a very interesting point that you brought to me here, which is really worthy of discussion for students, because I've been there, done that. I've seen students in this place before. Then, uh, in fact, it's almost par for the course, shall we say, mm-hmm. that success comes. And with success, over a longer period of time, not just success one time shot or occasionally, but when you get it built up to where it'll last for a week or more, then that's when we begin to get lazy again. Yeah. And um, in a way, the attitude becomes lazy because now that we're getting used to it, it's almost like this is part of the course, and um, it's, it's okay or it's usual, rather than in the beginning when we were doing yep. this, this was a spectacular uh, win. This was a great goal, okay? And now, so we lose that enthusiasm again. And yeah, so- I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I felt like all these really great emotions and all these, these mental feelings and these bodily feelings. And I just felt, well, I mean, they're really nice, but I don't really long for them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do enjoy them when they happen. I enjoy them a lot. It's just, yeah, like you said, um, it just, it's just not like spectacular. You got used to them. Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? You get used to anything. Doesn't matter how good or how bad it is, you just get used to it. Yeah. So that's why... So if you can get people used to certain kinds of accommodations, then you don't have to give them anything better because they're used to it now. Yeah. (laughs) Things become ordinary, even new things that are spectacular when they're new. If they stay, they become ordinary. Yeah. If they go away and return the second time they come back, they're not quite as spectacular as they were the first time. That's a Nietzsche. Yes, a Nietzsche, exactly. And And in a way, it's also Sankara. The way that we lay things into the mind, I think I've already told you about this, is that we tend to remember and cling to dangerous moments, disastrous moments, or um, disappointing moments, because that's instinctual, that that stuff is, is strongly remembered. But the really good stuff, we kind of forget all about it. Yeah. Why Why is that? It, it's a survival thing. It's it must a survival be. issue, exactly, that we tend to store up and keep track of at a very deep level of the mind, and this deep level of the mind is what we call the reptilian brain, that part of the brain back in the day with the cerebellum and all oh, of that kind of stuff. Yes, that we tend to selectively store memories for survival issues. Hmm. 
But now, with the enthusiasm for the Dhamma, we're going to start storing some better stuff in there. Because mm-hmm. it's our choice. We can remember the things that we want to remember. And right now, we're remembering to yeah. come out of suffering over and over again. Yep. And so we do remember the joy. We do remember the, uh, uh, those delightful moments. Because they're mm. worth remembering, and we know that. And this is where that enthusiasm for the Dhamma comes in. Because mm. the enthusiasm now is uh, that energy, or the pity, is the energy that we're using to, uh, to supplant the energy that was coming from a fear-based instinctual thing. Okay. Do you know what I mean when I say cut a record? No. Okay, to cut a record, back in the 1950s and 60s, they had shellac on a disc. Sometimes there was 45 RPM, which was a smaller, and then there was 78 RPM, which was a much larger platter. Right. And and that uh, you would take a stylus and put it on that platter and spin it around, and the electronics would pick up the, uh, the motions of that stylus. And amplified, and that would be the sound. That was before they uh, yep. actually that system grew up at the same time and in conjunction with tape. Yeah. Okay. And the reason I'm talking about that, and it happens with the tape recorder also. In fact, it happens in almost all electronics. But the example that I'm using is is that when the record is being played, it's just sitting there spinning. It's basically doing nothing. All of the work is done by the um, uh, uh, the the stylus on the uh, on the swing arm that yep. picks up picks up the sound, but when that record was made, it was made either in a mass pressing one after another, or more than likely of uh, actually the ones that I would use we would call cutter record because there is a lathe that is designed to put those grooves in that record. And that record gets hot when it's being ground in. Mm-hmm. What I'm getting at is uh, that it happens also uh, with flash memory. It takes a whole lot more uh, electricity or power to actually record a new bit than it does mm-hmm. to read it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so that's why, so that's why we remember the more intense things. Exactly, okay, and so that's because they get ground in better or deeper into the memory. Okay, the same thing is true with tape. That tape passively is read by the heads, but when you're recording, you put a lot of pumping pressure in there very intricately to record that uh, Mm -hmm. electromagnetic uh, uh, bit tracks or analog onto that, that tape. So if you understand that all electronics is like that, cutting a CD is completely different than uh, uh, reading. uh, Writing is much more intensive power than reading Mm -hmm. a CD. Mm. So um, actually the memory in the computer, the hard drives are like that because they're also... I don't know of any recording device that is physical in the world that actually does recording that does not take a whole lot more effort, energy, and power 
to record than it does to play back. From that perspective that it's actually taking energy to remember. Where's that energy or effort or power going to come from? It's either going to come from effort or it can come from enthusiasm. Mm. And if we have no enthusiasm and we have a, um, uh, a loser's mentality, then we see the recording that has to be done is a great effort. Yeah, that's true. And so in that regard, this issue about the effort has a great um, part of attitude. And we know this in regular life. I mean, I can name you songs. One of them that comes to mind is he's not heavy. He's my brother. Do you know that song? No, I don't. Okay, but you can hear it in that in that phrase. He's not heavy. He's my brother. Yep. That's the yeah. attitude. Okay. So um, if that's the way that it is, then if we see everyone as our brother, then our whole life around carrying people around in whatever way that we do it mentally or whatnot is actually easier to do. Yeah. Any job you like is easier to do than a job you don't like, even if it's the yeah. same job. And today you don't like it, and tomorrow you do. Yep. So that's kind of, that's like um, a version because um, when you feel sort of, when you feel like you don't like things, it's um it causes you know um a lot of distress in the mind um and when you do like them it doesn't really yes there are so many different examples of that one one time it was 3 4 years ago Right. Uh, that this happened. And it had to do with uh, an issue about the police in Udon Thani. And they chased me down here to South Thailand because they wanted me to sign a form. And basically right. the form was to help get somebody out of jail. And so I'm naturally willing to go do that. Go do yeah. somebody a favor, give them, uh, help get them out of jail. And so <clears throat> I make an appointment with the officer one of the high-ups, I go and I wait, and he doesn't show, and he doesn't show, and he doesn't show. And so we go home. That happened again. The third time Why? that I go down there, with an appointment, and uh, he actually asked another officer to do it. Well, here I am with all of this, and I recognize, you know, I want to go home, but here is good enough. And so I sit down and I got myself right back into a good space. And, um, and it wasn't like a meditation because this guy was asking me all of these questions while he was typing on this old sure. style uh, uh, typewriter. Uh, but then the officer that had stood me up twice and now shows up late comes waltzing in. And it's my job to be good friends with him. Hi, officer, yeah. how you doing? It turns out he's a Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa student. 
Oh, no way. <laughs> no way. Exactly. <laughs> Already. And so I could have been stuffy and formal and uh, um, um, like everybody else, but instead we had a ball. Yeah, I bet. It was really uh-huh, great, great, okay, and it had to do then with, I decided before he came in that I'm going to change my attitude about this. Yeah. Yeah, it's so powerful, that change of attitude. Mm-hmm. And you can forgive me for the fact that this is, you know, being stood up by cops and nobody likes to go to the police station and hang around for hours anyway. <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. but i recognize that and got over it and so we can do that yeah all right And, and also this idea of enthusiasm is something that's actually there in the suttas that this is actually one of the knowledges that brings us to the state of being noble, is to be eager for the Dhamma. Yeah. Okay. That we, we want to know the Dhamma. We want to hear the Dhamma. We want to live the Dhamma. We're, that's, that's what we're doing. Now, um, this, this comes in stages of um, dedicate. Maybe the word is dedication. I don't really like the word devoted to because we're not devoted to the Dhamma. Yeah, yeah. But we get really into it in in the sense that uh, everything that we do is reflected upon the Dhamma. Yeah. Got to go think about the Dhamma all the time because it'll get you out of any jam that you get your, your mind into. I'm th- I am th- I'm thinking about it a lot these days, and not all the time, but a lot of the time. It's um, it is happening more and more, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's it's um it's helpful. All right. Well, um, if you don't mind, I will actually bring in some details as to what I'm talking about with this. Sure. Because, um. This is, in fact, the, the, the noble path and the stages that we're on. And that uh, the Buddha lays in, these out in seven knowledges. Yep. And that I've talked to you about these seven knowledges, especially that first one, which is so key, and it actually is the kickoff. And that is that no matter how obstructed my mind gets, I can clean it out. Mm. And come back yep. to this present moment. That that main attitude change. That's the first step of nobility. Anybody who has that, we cannot deny that they have taken the step on the noble path. The Buddha makes specific statement that this is a factor that not many people have. Most people, when they start meditating, they do not have that firm conviction that they can clean their mind out. Mm. In fact, a lot of them just sit there and watch it. <laughs> dirty yeah they think they're going deep but we have to stop going deep and start doing cleaning to throw that stuff out don't go deep into it throw it out and once we come to that step 
then that gets us ready then for full on number two knowledge, which is uh, the, the knowledge of the development and the developed first jhana, which you're just beginning to do. Mm. You're beginning to get and, and being able to maintain it for a while. Okay. Yeah. So we need to get back into that state because now you're beginning to understand, yes, there is this state of mind that is sharp and focused and we'll, still we can walk around in it and live our lives in that state of bright mm. joy that has all of these first jhana factors. Once we understand that, that's the second, that's the second knowledge that in fact we can live a life of uh, pleasant serenity or happiness. Mm-hmm. Then the next or the third step is the step where we have full knowledge and vision of what is the path and what is not the path. This is actually a very important point because this is when all doubt is fully eradicated. Mm-hmm. You see, we have been eradicating a second kind of doubt, and that is, is that I can do this. Yeah. But now we've come to the point of not only can I do this path, this is the path. This is it. Mm-hmm. This is the one. This is the Buddhist teaching is no is not like any other teaching anywhere. Yeah. That this teaching is kind of special. This whole idea of looking at the mind, understanding, get the mind cleaned out. Okay. So this is actually then the tipping point between the first, uh, what they call sotapan, the first level of um, nobility. It tips mm-hmm. from being merely on the path over into the fruit of sotapan. And here's the reason right. why is because this is when the dedication really kicks in and the, this dedication is to watch for suffering. That I'm on guard now. I'm really on guard. My whole life is on guard. Not just while I'm sitting or while I'm thinking about being on guard. I'm really on guard now. And mm-hmm. in that regard, I'm, I'm on guard for things that I do wrong in the sense of hurting other people or for a monk, it would be like breaking some minor rule or whatever. And mm-hmm. so the whole quality then of the, uh, the monkhood at this level is for the monk to go and confess what he's done wrong. Why? Mm-hmm. Because we want to be finished with what we've done wrong. We want to stop our dukkha. So we become. this is the place where we really begin to open up. And <laughs> this is the hard one, not hard in the sense of um, the actual doing it, because it, when it happens, it's because of that dedication to the end of suffering. So that means I'm going to have to stop, intentionally stop doing the things that cause suffering to myself yeah. to others. This is the point when the, when the past gets really, really dedicated dedicated enough to where we're honest and we can apologize to people easily without having to feel regret about it, but rather that we're making a note, I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh This is, in fact, that point that we actually need 
in order to remove anger and hatred and all kinds of stuff out of the mind. And that's why these are now called the higher fetters. But in fact, the, the, these, the fetters that we're currently working in and are in fact getting onto is first the fetter of personality view. Who am I? The answer is, I'm a Dhamma dude now. I'm a lion. That's what. I know who I am. <laughs> I'm not that personality that I thought I was. All right. So the next one is the throwing away of all of the rites, rules, and rituals so that we can live a happy life. We know mm. what we're going to do because we've now decided. And in fact, this is that place when we make that firm commitment that we are, in fact, going to live according to the Dhamma of Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda, rather than following rules anymore. Mm. Okay, and then the third fetter, which is this fetter we're talking about here now, is that fetter of doubt. We are completely finished with any doubt about this is the right way to do it. I can do it. Nobody else for me can do it. Only I can do it for myself. And we can't because we got the right job, the right tools, the right package, and the proof is there. And so now we're dedicated. That's the third step. The fourth step then is uh, dedicating to see that dukkha and be willing to admit it when we do something wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, most people, they don't like to do that. We, we want to hide what we've done wrong. Somehow it's a survival issue, you know? If, we get, if we've done yeah. wrong, then we'll get punished. So in a way, what we're doing here is we're taking the whole mentality that society has about, um, let us say, bad actions and the result of bad actions or punishment for wrongdoing becomes rehabilitation. If, in fact, you had a... Um, they don't do this in Thailand. I'm sorry. This is one of the things that they don't do. They don't rehabilitate people who go to jail. I don't think that they know... Okay. I don't think anywhere in the world, any prison anywhere in the world knows how to actually rehabilitate uh, prisoners because that's not their job. Their job is to punish them. Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. But here we're, we have that choice in our own mind in the sense that my wrongdoing does not necessarily punish me, but rather it rehabilitates me. Like Jesus would say, go and sin no more. Now that we see what we're doing and see that it's wrong, and this is that major step, but it's, there's more to it. The next step, step five then, is when we become... The example in the, uh, in the sutta is, is twofold. One is the monk though he goes about doing his month, monthly duties, like sweeping the path or uh, doing some cleaning or something, still he is thinking about focusing on and thinking about the Dhamma. Mm -hmm. Another example would be that a, a, a cow who's having just given birth to a new calf, though she's out eating grass, 
still she's got one eye on that calf. Mm. Nothing uh, happens for danger to that calf. She's got her eye on it, you know. Mm. Well, this is how we begin to develop that fifth stage, that fifth knowledge is basically keeping our eye on the Dhamma. Start watching for it all the time. Why? Because that naturally is what comes out of our newfound dedication to stop causing other people trouble. Yeah, I've noticed, you know, when you... When you sort of cause others trouble, um, it doesn't feel good. Um, and actually helping people feels, feels quite good. Yes. Well, one of the ways that we cause other people trouble is by having bad feelings. If we have bad feelings and share those bad yeah. feelings, we're just giving them a gift that they don't really want. Yeah. Which means now we've got to learn to control ourselves so that we're not out there spreading our bad feelings to, to others. That, that's part of this uh, fifth knowledge of always on the Dhamma because we want to make sure that we're not causing ourselves or anyone any suffering. The whole path, in fact, this is the culmination of that third knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path means bingo. I know what it is now. I've got to deal with this dukkha, dukkha naroda issue. That's it. That's the only issue there is to deal with. I got to make sure that if I do dukkha, I've got to make, you know, rehabilitate myself rather than just setting it up. Because, you know, like in Christianity, they have confessions. Okay, but yeah. They have to do a penance or punishment for the confession, but they don't have any rehabilitation for the confession. Oh, yeah. The priest doesn't say, you have to stop doing that. Will you promise me you're not going to go hit little Johnny in the face anymore or whatever like that, you know? Yeah. So this is the whole idea of taking punishment out of it and putting rehabilitation in then gives us the chance of being okay with being honest about what we've done wrong. So it's the changing of habits. Mm -hmm. And so now we come to that glorious sixth one, the one that we were starting off on all along, and that is that eagerness oh. for oh, the yeah. dying. That eagerness comes in with the dedication to the Dhamma. Right. And then yeah. the last one, number seven, is when the Dhamma becomes delightful. So our eagerness then matures into just great joy because we're in the Dhamma. Now, in that uh. point, we actually can go back and revisit the other stages. Especially, let's look at stage four. Now, because in the beginning, when we first got started at being willing to admit when we've done wrong, we're actually changing a habit. Yes. When one delights in the Dhamma, then we delight in being able to, uh, to take the blame. We delight in being able to uh, um, rehabilitate and to get over it. 
so that we now take off any vestige of wanting to hide what I've done wrong. This is when we really get open, is with that delight in the Dhamma that's so delightful that we can be delighted even when we're confessing wrongdoing. So is it because we are confessing that we are delighted, or is it um, because we are delighted it's just a lot easier to confess? I have to say po or both, yes. Okay, sure. Yes, together. Absolutely, together on that. Um, but this, this, this delight and this um, eagerness, though, is then, it's not like stages like a stepladder or a set of stairs. Right. But it's rather that if the student knows the whole path and knows and understands that he actually does have the intention to start looking at the Dhamma all the time. He does actually have the intention and the attitude that he's going to become eager for the Dhamma. Mm -hmm. All right, so we be actually we want to hear about these seven knowledges because we're actually going to develop them as skills while we don't necessarily abandon any one of them. Then in fact that's one of the things I delight in is being able to talk about that first knowledge with students over and over again because it's just so important to keep that, mm -hmm. to build that new attitude, that new attitude that I can do this, because that attitude is what's going to get us right through the rest of that path. Mm -hmm. And so we start developing that right attitude from the beginning of I can do this, right into I can maintain this, right into I understand this, which is the third one, right mm -hmm. into number four is, darn it, I'm going to do this, into, darn it, I'm going to do it all the time. Into, wow, I'm so eager for it. Into, I really like it, too. Okay, so this is basically in the, the sequence. But we still keep going back to step one, step two, step three, over and over and over again, so that we keep these seven knowledges alive and well. Okay. It's not a progression like after you finish step six, then the only thing to do is step seven. No, we still got all seven knowledges that have to stay going. And you're you've got the good example of it. That yeah, you were you were going for a while, but now we yeah. gotta start over again. Okay. Yeah, I did feel like it was all very it all made perfect sense. Um and it was just yeah, I did feel like bits of everything that you just mentioned back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's the thing. I, oh, I'm just, every time that I talk about this and other deep things to students, I'm just blown away of how smart the Buddha was. I mean, he could figure this stuff yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I like reading some of the suttas as well. And yeah, it's just amazing. Like one person could figure out all of this. Mm. Well, do you think that you've got uh, some place to go now with your dedication and your I'm going to go do it again kind of? Great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> so, um, and the, the best thing is that it's the weekend, which means lots of time. 
All right. Well, we'll see you in a few days. Let me know what's going on, okay? This has been good. I really enjoyed our talk. Yeah, me too. All right, Damarato.